Today's episode of The Thriller Zone with David Temple is sponsored by The Story Factory and the visionary genre-bending debut novel Grand Theft AI by James Cox. The Matrix meets Blade Runner. Grand Theft AI is available now for pre-order from your favorite bookseller. Hi there, I'm David Temple, and welcome to another episode of the Thriller Zone podcast. I'm happy to welcome author, journalist, and podcaster, Kristen Tetsy. As you will soon learn, she's a woman of many talents. So let me shut up and get moving as we welcome Chris and we get into the Thriller Zone. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I'm here with, I want to make sure I get this right. I had to actually write it down phonetically. It's, it's Tetsy, Kristen Tetsy, right? Right. I'm just going to call you Chris because we're friends now. We are. Yeah. It does feel like I had, I, I've known you forever. I think it's because I started reading your stuff on medium.com, uh, which is a, an online publishing group. And I, uh, I was just fascinated by the way you saw life. And it was, it was very specific, a very specific voice. And uh, I was instantly drawn in. And while you're not traditionally a thriller writer, I was just so captivated by your work. And so I said, hey, you want to come play in my sandbox? And you did. That was a thrill of a request to get, because I think um, as much as I'm not somebody who craves like the traditional fame, like I don't want people, I'm not someone who wants people looking at me or, you know, like I wouldn't want to be a celebrity or anything. But there's something really cool about having someone read something you wrote that has nothing, especially that has nothing to do with what you're doing. You know, it's not thriller oriented at all, at least the thing you approached me about. But it's really cool to have someone read that and then based on that, decide they want to have more of a conversation. So that was really, um, I don't know, gratifying, enriching, flattering. I don't know, just all good words. Uh, We can go with any one of those words. You know, I have to tell you, David, that when I put your graphic on my Facebook page, I I have not received so many comments or uh, like congrats, woohoo, way to go uh, remarks in response to anything I've ever written or any, I mean, I do a podcast every week and that doesn't, you know, but I was going to be on the thriller zone. And so suddenly I am a big deal. So I want to thank you for that. Absolutely. It's my honor to have you. That's so awesome. I feel very flattered. That's sweet. <laughs> so I want to sh- I want to start off this way. Um, something you wrote, the article that actually got my attention, that's what it is. Uh, it begins with, for me, sharing the stories is half of the joy. Now, I would sit here and read the entire article, but that would bore my viewers and listeners to death. But basically, it speaks to those who want to become traditionally published. Can you take that blurb? because I know you recall it, and uh, consolidated for me because it was so, it so grabbed me, which is what how I first got attention to you, because here's why. We all grapple with, hey, do I want to be self-published? Do I want to be traditionally published? What will I be if I don't get traditionally published? Will, will that make me nobody, et cetera? So I would love to hear your take on that. Um, the title of it is Giving Up on Traditional Publishing in the Name of Love. The love I'm talking about is the love of writing. I essentially, I guess, was saying that loving writing has nothing to do really with getting published. Um, At least for me, it never did. I never wanted to be, I never saw my name on book covers. I never thought about being a published author. I just knew I loved writing. And it wasn't until I started playing the publishing game and learning about the wait time and how you could die before anything happens just because the right person at the right time didn't decide that your work was marketable enough. I mean, any number of variables variables can go into this, but um, it just didn't make sense with the technology we have now to potentially die before achieving some fantasy of traditional publication when I could be doing the writing that I love the whole time and giving it to readers without a publisher. I mean, it's, I don't know if I, I don't know if I condensed it in the way that you were looking for really. Well, here's the, uh, uh, Todd Scott was on my show recently. And one of the things, and I've quoted it now a couple of times, I, I loved that uh, session. He was from Kentucky and he just, he just shoots it out there straight to you. He didn't mess around with it. And he goes, uh, I said, you know, what if this story doesn't see the light of day? He goes, I don't give a damn. I wrote it for me. I just enjoy doing it. And it's that attitude 
that got him the deal that continues to get him the deal because he's writing from the place of pure passion, pure joy. And I love that and I continue to quote it. And that's kind of what your message resonated to me uh, is it comes from the, the love first and the passion first and everything else is going to fall, fall away. It's going to fall anyway, right? Well, yeah. And the, the thing about something seeing the light of day is there are a lot of writers who will leave their work in a file if it's not picked up by a traditional publisher. So they're denying lots of potential readers um, their own work because the right person isn't putting it out. So you can say you're writing something for yourself, but I think a lot of people write because they hope someone will read it. They hope to reach somebody. And you can actually reach somebody without a traditional publisher. So, I mean, I, what, what he's saying, I totally agree with he's writing it because he's writing the story he wants to write. He's writing it the way he wants to write it. He's doing his, uh, at the risk of sounding pretentious, he's doing his art. And, right. you know, and so it's going to be honest. It's going to be what he wants. And he's not going to be trying to play to the format or the formula or whatever. Um, and, and really with traditional, with uh, technology, what it is today, there's no reason something has to not see the light of day. You know, it's so funny back in the day when blogs were popular and then they became uh, kind of a, a joke line in conversation. Oh, you write a blog, okay. uh, you know, and that's so fantastic. Uh, how many, how many readers do you have? 12? Yeah. yeah. And it became, uh, and it became a joke. However, I think it's rejoin uh, or join rather a resurfacing in a lot of different ways, like Medium, which we're going to get to in a second. You've written a number of articles and books in a wide variety of topics. And uh, I want you to tell this thriller audience, and we're going to get to your thriller experience in a second, about your working foray into, well, actually, you used this phrase to me, and I thought it was hilarious, thriller light. Tell us about hindsight, Chris. Where it came from is that I don't like to write the same thing uh ever, especially if it's something like a novel. The first one was hyper-literary. Um, the second one was kind of that commercial slash literary blend that you might throw John Irving into, and that was the Yaradan Palace. Um, the third one was speculative, um, bordering on dystopian, but I don't really think it's dystopian, though I guess it could be. Um, I just get a story in mind and I wanna tell it the best way it can be told uh regardless of what genre it might fall into by accident and so with hindsight hindsight started as a screenplay um i was doing screenwriting for a long time in college it was almost my major but i ended up going with fiction because at least you can still get people to read your books but nobody's going to read your screenplay if it doesn't get produced uh, so it started as a screenplay and then since of course nothing's going to happen with that i decided to adapt it into a novel and i only got part of the way through before stopping. And so what I'm doing now on Kindle Vela is putting it up in increments bit by bit in episodes as a way to force myself to finish it. And the suspense part, you know, I the suspense, the, the story was inspired by uh, Dateline and all those other true crime shows that everybody watches. And apparently women are particularly obsessed with true crime stories. And I think it's because 99% of the time we're the victims. Uh, and it, it's also really helpful because you can see things now because you know how the world is and you can watch out for things and protect yourself a little bit better and be aware. But there's a running theme in these shows uh, that will First of all, the obvious is that most of the women are white because apparently white women are the only ones who really matter to these people, to these producers. <laughs> but second to that is they'll make sure they make a note of what the girl who was killed looked like. Uh, like, oh, beautiful, beautiful 18 year old, beautiful cheerleader, beautiful whatever, as if that's somehow important or relevant. But in any case, we get this little teeny tiny capsule of who this person was um, before they go into the the stalking or the murder or the trial or whatever of the the, vic the the person who did it. And I'm just interested in the idea of being inside the person's life in all of their, you know, they have personal conflicts, they have personal dramas, they have personal awkward things going on. And this, this thing that ultimately kills them is just a small facet of that. And I think having all of their life wrapped into this and having that just be a facet makes it that much scarier because you as a person, maybe not you, but most women know what it's like to have a regular life going on and then be walking around the house and checking closets with either a bat or a gun or whatever you have. You think you hear a noise, so you're walking around. 
and you're, you're of course walking around because you don't really think there's anybody in the closet because if you really thought there was somebody in the closet, you would never open it, which is kind of weird. But there is this fear and it's scarier, I think, if you're reading a character whose life you know is real and complex and not just about this scary thing, uh, which can sometimes, like if it's just the scary and, and the, th the person who's scared, it can seem a little, um, I don't know, less scary because you know what's going to happen and you know why. I don't know. I'm not explaining it very well, but I just wanted to tell the story of the victim um, in a way that makes her real and in a way that makes the suspenseful parts double scary. I also wanted to to play with uh, suspense and scariness. Well, and, and back to my earlier point, uh, this is your dabbling and, and, and tiptoeing into the thriller mystery genre. And uh, really interesting point because i have not dabbled with it yet and i would love to speak to someone who is doing it and help me better understand so amazon has launched this new thing called vela H how does it work you can upload um anywhere from 600 to i uh, i think it's five thousand words but don't quote me on it um i'm right i'm gonna quote you on that right oh, now no, you're writing it down <laughs> yeah 600 to five thousand Chris there's a, there's, there's a certain uh, word count that you can upload every time you upload a new episode. And I think you can upload at any frequency you want. So you can do, I was trying to do one every two weeks, but if you wanted to, you could do one a day. You could, I mean, you, you could really set your own, set your own frequency. Um, as far as I know, it's not very reader friendly yet. I don't think like when I put up a new episode, whoever is actually following it doesn't receive a notification that there's a new episode. And that's um, irritating because then you have to notify, you know, don't you think that if you subscribe to something, you should get an email or. Well, something? yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's isn't that the whole purpose of this getting our audience to subscribe so that you the minute you do that, then you get a notice saying, hey, a new episode of the Thriller Zones just popped up. So you notify people and the people who whose addresses you have um, will then know that this new episode is available. You can you can rate it. You can like star and rate it um, just like you would a book. But it turns out um, you can't rate or review each episode individually. I think you can only rate the thing as a whole as that's my understanding. I don't know if it's changed or evolved since then, but that's my last understanding. All right, let me interrupt here. In Medium, you do a claps. So if I like an article of yours, I, I can clap once or I can clap a hundred times. I'm not really- 50. Oh, up to 50? Yeah. How did you know that? Did you sit down and actually- I just tried it. I did. I, I tried it to see how far I could get. <laughs> I was curious. <laughs> I've always wondered and now I know it's 50. Okay. So you can clap 50 times. It doesn't, does it raise your uh, position in the universe of medium, for instance? It doesn't increase your exposure. It's just someone's really happy and sitting out there clapping a lot. I don't really look too far into uh, how to know how much, how much attention I'm getting. Like I, I'm not someone who looks at my stats a lot. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so it's, Fair enough. Whenever if I if I visit a medium article and I see that it has one point two thousand claps, uh -huh. I assume, oh, a lot of people have read this. A lot of people have liked it. So it does, as a reader, at least make me think this is a very popular piece of work. OK, so back I to. That. Yeah. And so to Vela, you can start you like a particular episode, you can start. Uh, we've got that now. How does how does one get paid for that? Do you get paid per, like if you're doing one chapter at a time, do you get paid per chapter? There are tokens that you have to, you use tokens to read each episode. And the number of tokens an episode will cost you as a reader is dependent on how many, what the word count is for each episode. Um, as I understand it, Kindle, Vela, once you sign up as a new reader, you get, um, I think, 200 free tokens. Oh. And in addition to that, the first three episodes you read are free. And then after the first three, you have to start using your tokens. And once you've exceeded the 200 token mark, you have to start paying for them. And then I think the I think Amazon and the writer split the profits from the tokens 50-50, I think. Oh, because Bezos doesn't have enough money. Okay. No, 
There's never enough. How much is enough? Just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. Okay, I've got it. All right, that's fascinating. Um, and it's it's in its infancy, so it's working out its kinks. They're probably going to work on that uh, subscription alert model, I'm sure, very soon. Um, let's go back to Medium because uh, you've got a pretty sizable audience there. And what has your what is your overall takeaway from Medium? How does that make you feel? Have you gotten interaction with your audience? Yeah, if you write something that inspires comments, um, you do get to interact that way because you go in and comment on their comments or have a little back and forth sometimes. Um, it, I, I like writing there because of the look of it. Um, I like that it seems to have a wider audience than say putting something on your own website or your own blog. If something's on, because a lot of people have heard of Medium, if it's just on Medium, I think it's given more, you know, it's just, yeah, I guess so. Even though, even if it's the same work, I guess it's almost like having a publisher logo or not. I mean, if it has this little stamp, it's automatically worth reading versus not. I don't know. Well, it's kind of like if I wanted to sell my living room couch, <laughs> I'm not, honey, I promise. Um, if I wanted to sell the living room couch and I put it out on the curb, only the people walking through the neighborhood would be able to buy it. But if I put it on Craigslist, eBay, et cetera, then a wider audience could do it. So it's kind of like that. It, yeah. you, can, you won't read my blog unless I go, hey, Chris, I wrote this really cool article I think you'd like. I send you an email or a text or so forth and you go read it. Whereas on Medium, you're out there in the public domain. You're on the highway and you're part of the highway. That's, well, that's what I like about it. I like that too. Yeah, yeah. that's uh, that is really it. Is you have a, a wider audience, a, a broader, larger, huge audience potentially. So medium self-publishing journals, magazines, Vela, and also another thing you do, which is really cool. You're I don't I, I want to be careful how I say. It. I was going to say, oh, you're the Q and A gal for Jane Friedman's website. That doesn't sound quite right, but one. <laughs> yeah. I'm one of a few. But Jane Friedman, by the way, if you don't know, Jane Friedman is, uh, she's just a genius. If you haven't gotten her hot sheet, I was going to pull this up because I love me some Jane. I like to be able to get the essence of something as quickly and efficiently as possible because I have so much information coming at me, like everyone, it's so many times, that I want somebody who just shoots it to me in bullet points. Tell us about Jane Friedman, and and this is all related to us, by the way, in the thriller world, uh, about the, we'll, we'll get to the hot sheet, but her website, her specialty, and how you got to work with her. Well, her website is all things business of writing and business of publishing. She's uh, someone who was formerly with Writer's Digest, um, and then she went out to do her own thing, and she's like just so deep into it, and she's constantly researching it, and she's constantly keeping herself up to date on the um, trends of publishing, the trends of how, how everything relates to publishing, whether it's social media or um, how to get an audience or how to write the most effective memoir, or she's just like all seriously about the business of publishing, and I swear she knows everything. And if there's something <laughs> new to know she'll find it first probably and then she'll she'll tell you what it is um and what i really like about her style is that she's um as you mentioned she's brilliant she's yeah. so she knows what she's doing she's very straightforward about it she's not someone who pussyfoots around and tries to make people feel nice it's just these are the facts this is how it's working or not you know here's what you need to do if this is what you want and the way i got to work with her is I've, I've, I just love interviewing people. I'm curious about people. I love asking questions. I love asking questions uh, that I haven't seen answers to from these people before. And maybe just things I wanna know that um, you might not see asked. So I started doing interviews called Five On because it was five on writing and five on publishing. And I was doing it for my own website. I think I, I sent her an email asking her if she might know of somebody who would be interested in it's an interview series like that. And she said, I would be interested in an interview series like that. So I was like, yeah. <laughs> as far as Q and A, do you, are you're the authority? You kind of, um, do you field questions to her? Do you, um, are more the questions about the book publishing industry? How does that I work? ask really anything I'm curious about. I will, I will try to do five generally just so I keep it um, within the, you know, the scope of her website, some questions on writing, some questions on publishing, um, because I think she's also very interested in the psychology of writing and the what's behind writing and what inspires people to write. So I'll ask those questions. I just, I really like knowing the reality of the writer's 
experience and not the um, the little things we see, like sure, someone says, "Hey, I got a book deal." Okay, great. But what does that mean? Are you are you happy with the way the publishing process is going? How how much are they doing for you in terms of uh, promotion? You know, what's it really like beyond this this fantasy idea we all have? That's interesting. There's some. Uh, I've had this conversation with uh, a number of different authors, and they say a similar thing: that the dream is to get traditionally published, and then. This conversation's come up a number of times. Oh, yeah, I can just kind of kick back now because I've got the deal so they do all the work. And they quickly learn that that's only, they gain access to the wider audience, but they're still on the hook, for lack of a better term, uh, for a large percentage of the work, book tours, social media, etc. And I think that's a misnomer um, for those who don't know. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I would go a little farther to say that unless you're a lucky one, um, it also might not mean anything to get traditionally published. It might, you know, and I, a former professor of mine was published by Little Brown, which is super impressive and who wouldn't want to be, but it's very unlikely that a lot of people have heard of his book. So it doesn't, and I think that happens to a lot of people. There's another, there's a guy I used to know from a writer's uh, group who is an incredible, oh, he's just an incredible writer and he has been published traditionally, but I think a lot of people haven't heard of his book. So I don't think you're making money just because you're published traditionally. You have the, um, you have the line like on your resume basically, but I don't know that it, in a lot of cases does much more for you than self-publishing would. It does grant you access, but not everybody gets that access even with the logo, you know, because only like, if you look at the New York Times um, book review, they'll do 1%, I think of all the submissions they get. So wow. you can have all the publisher clout in the world and still not have access to these things. I mean, I, I'm not immune to the lure of traditional publishing. If if some publisher suddenly read one of my self-published, you know, existing books and said, you know, I really think there's a market for this right now and I would love to publish it, I'm sure I would say yes. I mean, I'd be an idiot not to. Um, because why not? <laughs> right. But um it would, I, you never know how tricky it could be. I mean, what if they were to say something like, well, how about if you take the, these two chapters out and update it and change it and make it like this? Like if they wanted changes and if they wanted to put some girly nonsense, <laughs> something on the cover just to indicate this is a book with women in it written by a woman. I, I don't know if I would need publishing that bad to say yes to that, you know? So it's, it's yeah. not like a, a definite yes. Speaking of that in a, tangent gentle way so this is the book that i read um the year of dan palace by chris jane no don't be confused this is the same gal um i enjoyed it by the way thank you i did want to ask why and the fact that you mentioned hey does it have to say a woman's name and show a woman on the cover why did you choose in this particular instance to come up with a pen name how did you come up with chris jane and do you think three-part question. And do you think pen names are necessary if you want to write in different uh, variety of genres? I went with Chris Jane because after uh, Pretty Much True, my first novel, which was originally called Homefront, but after Pretty Much True uh, came out, I was getting myself interviews and, you know, just marketing my butt off. And I would get questions like, um, so you must have written this for other military spouses or, um, and by the way, pretty much true is the story of a woman whose soulmate, for lack of a better word, has just gone to Iraq at the start of the war in 2003. And so this is the very deeply uh, intimate psychological and emotional aftermath, I guess, or experience of, of wondering every second of every day whether the person you love most in the world is going to get shot or beheaded or something. So yeah, questions like, um, did you write this for other women? And oh, well, what's, you know, where's the action in waiting, you like during a war? The understanding was what's, what's the story about a woman at home when compared to the story of a man at war? Not only did it, um, I guess, support the idea that 
a story by a woman or about a experience that is traditionally had by a woman is somehow seen as less relevant or certainly not universal. It was also a automatic uh, shutting off of an interest and an awareness of an experience that people have been having since the start of wars. You know, anytime somebody has loved somebody who's gone to war, they have experienced something like this. They have been deathly afraid. They have been waiting for that bad news. And it impacts every single day of that person's life in a very strange emotional way, a very strange psychological way. And I think it's an important aspect of war. Um, every bit as important as the guy who goes to war and sits in a supply office and sees no action. You know, I mean, there, there are so many different war stories that it seems just as worthy of putting out there. But the fact that it was about a woman by a woman um, was starting to get on my nerves in terms of the questions I was being asked. Sure, there, this must be for other women. No. Was Tim O'Brien, was, was the things they carried strictly for men who were soldiers? No. It's assumed that this is a story people want to learn more about, as was mine. So I thought if I just try on my next one, a name that is less, um, or maybe that's gender ambiguous, um, especially since I was writing about a man uh, and from his third person point of view, I wanted to see if that would be treated differently or received differently. Um, I also like the idea of someone not going into the book with the preconceived filter of knowing that this is a woman writing a man's mind. You know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. And I, I hadn't thought about that way, but that does make sense. And it, what's interesting about this, it's funny, if, if I didn't know you'd pick up Chris Jane and if I liked the blurb, I would read it and go, okay, I'm gonna go for the ride. What's interesting is the way that the tor story is told uh, from the perspective of the guy and in the way that he's he's tormented and, and <laughs> the way that he moves through life is just uh, it's kind of sad, quite frankly. But I did I did enjoy it. I love the perspective. He's it, trying. You know. Yeah, he's that's for sure. It reminds me of uh, situations in the past. I don't want to sound cliche, but and for fear of that. I, because only because I'm genuinely interested and you cover such a wide variety of stories, you know, where do you find, and I know everyone's asked this, but where do you find your inspiration on any particular topic for any particular story that you're writing? Uh, it's usually something either, uh, either an underrepresented experience that I want to like with, it, it really depends. It's usually something I think is important, uh, for pretty much true, I really thought there wasn't enough or really anything out there that really tried to explore what it's like to wait through a war. Um, with the year of Dan Palace, I think it was a <laughs> debilitating fear of death. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and like, what does it mean? You know, you wanna, you know, you're gonna die. You wanna live life to its fullest, but what does that mean? And, and how does that impact other people in your life? And is it worth living your life to the fullest? If, if that doesn't enhance anybody else's life or if in fact it, it disrupts theirs. Uh, with the age of the child, I had been, I am a person without children who is a pro-choice person. Um, and I was starting to get really frustrated by the hypocrisy of the, um, in quotes, pro-life position because it, it encouraged the birth of babies, but it didn't care where these babies ended up. It didn't matter whether they were wanted, it didn't matter whether they would end up with parents who lock them in cages and starve them, just just, just have them. And so uh, the age of the child addresses that hypocrisy and takes reproductive rights restrictions a step further by flipping things over just to try to give a, a perspective to uh, people who take for granted that their having children is also a choice. Um, and the one I'm writing now, the hindsight one, is really about capturing a real life behind a crime and also pointing out that this control we like to think we have, this this it'll never happen to me idea a lot of us have that gets us into trouble um, can really get us into trouble. <laughs> it's not, you know, everything's not a movie. We're not always going to be victors. Need to be careful. 
This is a completely random thought out of nowhere, but because I've read your material and I've gotten to know you through social media, I think you have such an interesting perspective on life. And I, I, I almost caught myself earlier asking, you made a comment about women being 99% of the victims, which is a sad truth. And I often wonder why aren't there, this is gonna sound weird, why aren't there more female serial killers? Um, because there's a lot of guys that really need to just be taken out. Um, and I wonder if you, what you thought would think about writing a, a story as a, a thriller, particularly as a serial killer uh, from the woman's perspective. I just, I think if there's anybody that I've met in the last couple of years that could pull that off, even if you even wanted to, that would be, that would be something. It's funny you say that because when I was in the um, when I was in grad school in a workshop situation with a particular instructor, I wrote a short story about a rapist from mm -hmm. the female perspective, and she was the one raping the guy at this party. Um, and I was I was pretty convinced it was believable. I mean, I gave her her own. She didn't have the same motivation a man might have uh, because she's not a man, but she had her own reasons for doing it. And my instructor, who I think was a little bit um, traditional, <laughs> <laughs> said that he couldn't buy it because women don't rape people. So it's not... I mean, I have explored at least that side of a female being the aggressor and the the criminal, but that's that would be an interesting thing is to write something about a female serial killer. You could do it, Chris. Well, I'll think about it. And thank you. Well, we're going to take a short break. And when we come back, Chris is going to answer a very specific question. And it's very thrilling, I think, uh, that I have for her. And I don't want you to miss it. So we'll be back right after this. I'm Kristen Tetsy, author of Hindsight, and you're enjoying The Thriller Zone with David Temple. And we're back. I'm with Chris Tetsy, and we're on The Thriller Zone. Very specific question uh, for Chris. Chris, if you had an agent or a publisher team, and we were talking about traditionally versus self-publishing, but you say a, a, a team came together and approached you and said they, they wanted you to write a three-book thriller series because they they read hindsight on uh, Amazon's Vela and they thought this girl has the goods. Who would be your protagonist and what would be his or her secret sauce, power, mojo, etc.? And I know we just before the break talked about serial killer. So if you wanted to include that as a possibility, it's certainly your prerogative. Well, since the serial killer was your idea, I can't, I can't steal that to answer this question. Uh, although I would certainly keep it in mind because fun. Uh, first, I would probably say no way. I'm not writing a series. I don't want to ever write a series. I don't want to spend that much time doing the same thing over and over. But the same thing over and over thing does lead to the kind of series I would do, and that would be someone who is a a girl who um, starts out young. The first book would be when she's really young and something happens or she sees something that sets her on this path of um, probably not revenge, but just trying to maybe make a change based on whatever occurred in her youth. And she would, um, she would be learning throughout the series. I mean, first she'd be young and, and learning certain things, then she'd maybe be a little bit older and trying certain things and really messing up. And a lot of books, people just know how to do things. Like even in Hannah, um, in, the, in the movie Hannah, she's, she's taught stuff really young from her dad. So by the time she has to actually put her stuff into action, she doesn't really mess up. She knows exactly what she's doing. She's already an expert. I want my character to think she has a really great plan, think she's got everything all figured out, and then get really really badly injured or just thrown out and you know somewhere really really bad where she doesn't where she has to save herself she needs to learn she needs to mess up and learn like people do that would be the series and it would allow me to have her world when she's young and then when she's at that really awkward little age and then a little bit older and so there would be so many changes going on around her and in her life in addition to this mission that she's on that it would be interesting for me as the writer i love that I think to your point, I love the fact that someone didn't just pop on the scene with all these magical talents that she had to literally uh, 
go through fire to be able to learn them. I loved that. Have you ever sat around, um, you know, back to the thriller aspect, do you, and the fact that, that I teed you up with this uh, serial killer, do you ever do you tap into your dark side? Do you have interest in tapping into the dark side? Everyone has one. I would just love to know what Chris's dark side looked like. Um, do you mean violent side? Dark? Well, just, Could or just less than rosy. <laughs> <laughs> well, something tells me that let's... You fell in the blank. I don't. I don't see you as being a. Vi I, I don't perceive Not you as violent. being a violent person. No, I. I can't imagine that with dogs and cats and turkeys and deer and nature yeah. around you. But revenge. I I, maybe. Maybe that's a good thing. I wrote a. Yeah, my my dark side comes out a lot um, in. In pretty much true, there's, uh, it's not me. I mean, it's a semi-autobiographical novel in the sense that I couldn't have written it had I not experienced a deployment um, at home and being afraid every day that he would die. But there are, uh, that whole character is probably the, the chunk of darkness just kind of, you know, thrown out into about 270 pages. Um, the Year of Dan Palace has its moments um, and the age of the child too. There's a there's a scene in the age of the child where people are um, because birth control has been outlawed and abortion is, you know, you get a life sentence in prison for abortion in this in this novel. Um, you see a lot of there's like a spot at a fountain where everyone's sort of abandoning their babies. They've just found this abandoning spot where they where they put all their unwanted kids. So I I guess I explore uh my cynicism or disappointment in humanity in that way yeah yeah that is rife with conversation i, I, I wow oh it makes me want to pick up that book and read it now uh, i did i did have this one question i did not ask you about dan year of dan palace and i and i i think i wondered was it something that you um consciously thought about and aware of what was his obsession with the end of the world? Okay. The, you know how, you know, with Y2K and every now and then someone, okay, so there, Y2K, everyone thought this is going to be the end of everything. And then for a while, there was some date on the Mayan calendar that was supposed to say it was the end of the world. It's just another one of those times when someone is predicting the end of the world and he chooses to he's someone who is feeling stuck in his life um and here's this very convenient potential end of the world and so it's almost like winning the lottery or being told you're going to die you know it's you are given this um almost undeniable push to do something different to right. to live your life the way you've always wanted to so his at first i think he is scared because what if it really happens but then you know, you, you kind of get desensitized to anything after a certain amount of time, but he still wanted to force himself to take this chance and and uh, and go this go this direction that he's always wanted to go. And if you think the world is ending, I mean, you may as well because if it doesn't end, you're just living every day as you have every day for the last you know whatever. So it gives him the courage. And all of these characters are products of their upbringing. He was taught to be afraid. He was he was taught to stay in the car during fireworks, you know. Um, April was taught to be interesting to people who look at her. It, they all they're all messed up people who are still the, the people they were when they were younger. And so he's he's also trying to just combat that fear of doing something that isn't safe we've all kind of have the ability to do that very thing because if you want to get existential about it, we're all dying and we just don't know when that hammer will drop. And if you say to yourself, okay, you know what? Screw it. Today I'm going to live the best life I can. And it's the year of Chris Tetsy and David Temple and fill in the blank. And you know, there you go. So. Well, it's, it's like that um, in the year of Dan Palace, he asks April, you know, say you have three days to live, what would you do? She said, well, I'd probably go bring a tent to the lake and sit there and, you know, enjoy it or 
whatever she would do. And he says, well, why don't you do that now? And she's like, well, why, well, why would I do that? You know, that's, I think that's how we all think. Why would I do it unless I'm dying? I don't get it. <laughs> my mom had this, uh, my mom passed recently and she was a beautiful, hilarious gal. And, <clears throat> but she grew up in the great depression and she was an artist. So she painted and sketched and wrote, which is where I got my artistic side. And when we went to clean out her belongings, she was forever, I would buy her these really expensive calligraphy pens and these great markers and these exquisite pads of fabulous paper. And because she had grown up in the Great Depression, she saved it all. Ma, why don't you use those pens and that paper? I'm saving them for a special day. I'll, you know, when I get that inspiration, do that special thing. Well, how about do it today? And every once in a blue moon, I'd have her break it out and break out a great pen and she would just sketch away and we'd had the greatest time but without me around she would then put it aside well when we went to clean up her belongings after the fact there were stacks and stacks and stacks because she never got her she, she was saving it for that day and uh it's kind of sad you know not to be melancholic but it was kind of sad because you know break out the pads and pens and use it today you know it's like janice joplin says if you buy it today i mean don't wear it tomorrow I don't know if I quoted her exactly. Um, she's uh, on one of her CDs or albums, I guess. She's doing one of her talking bits in between songs and says, if you get it today, don't wear it tomorrow, man. It's all the same blanking day. Yeah, I like that. As we get ready to kind of wrap it up, I always like to come down to a little litany of my rapid fire questions and there's no right or wrong. It's just kind of fun. And, and you made a comment that you liked my question. So... I hope you'll still like them. We'll see. <laughs> she says with this look of, well, let's see what you have, David. First of all, here's an easy one. Where do you see yourself in five to 10 years? And specifically, uh, side note, your husband is retiring soon, right? Yeah, he's he's turned everything in. He just has, in a few days, he's, he's fully retired from the military. Yeah. Awesome. Well, good luck and please tell him thank you for his service. Um, and I hope that this question, where do you see you two guys in the next five to 10 years? And, and, and it could be writing or otherwise writing would be kind of cool as an answer, but doesn't matter. I will probably still be writing unless I reach that point. People sometimes reach where they figure eh, I've done enough. I've been doing it since I was, you know, 13. I'm tired of it now. <laughs> probably still writing. He will be still, he also is an airline pilot. So he's, uh, he'll probably still be flying, which is fun. So that's good. Awesome. Yeah. Writing and flying. Excellent. Good combo. What's the ultimate dream for life? And do you have one? Do you have that ultimate dream, man, if I could achieve blank, or if I could get to this place blank, do you have one? Inner peace. Mm. Uh, no more fear of my mortality. That would be that would be golden. <laughs> That's gorgeous. I have never had that answer. I love that. No fear of mortality. What's the best description of success to you? Happiness with what you're producing. On a scale of one to 10, 10 being a master, where are you in cornhole competition? Oh, man. <laughs> so you must know from my fantastic Instagram feed that at uh, a retirement party, I played cornhole for, I think the first time, if I ever played it before, I don't remember. Uh, I did get two in a row, which was very exciting, but I was awful uh, the rest of the time. So on a scale of one to 10, I will say, let's just give me a two. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I, uh, I love me some cornhole. I, throwing a beanbag at a, piece of wood with a hole in it gives me great joy. I'll admit it. It's fun. I want to own one. What's your favorite part of the writing journey? Revising. I hate a rough draft. I love, I love to yank out chapters and throw them away. I love drawing big X's through stuff. I love perfecting to the extent that one can perfect a sentence. It's just, oh, I love that part, the molding and the shaping and the, the, uh, tightening and, I love the seeing the excitement on your face when you say that. My wife, uh, for quite some time, has been my initial beta reader. And 
at, when she first did this on th three books ago, it terrified me, but with time, it, it pleased me. And I'm gonna, she would like, she'd be reading something and she'd go, yeah, honey, oh. no. And I'd be like, oh, and with time, I mean, you've heard the phrase, if it doesn't move the story forward, then get rid of it. But boy, with time, it really became something that I oddly looked forward to because I, I wanted to find out, all right, what have I just babbled on about and I need to just get rid of? So yeah, yeah. I'm with you. I share that, uh, that passion. Least favorite thing, something you really dread. Blank page. Blank page, okay. So the what comes next. Got it. Do you believe, off the cuff, do you believe in writer's block? No. Good. Can I, can I do a little point of clarification on writer's block? Please do. Okay. Uh, I think there are times when you just don't want to write, where you just don't have it in you. And I think uh, too many people see that as a bad thing when sometimes you just need a break and it's perfectly fine to take one. Okay. What was that other question? Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to back you up on that because I have found this, that at a point when you go, when you're forcing something, I have found this to be absolutely the best. You know what I do? I shut it down. I go for a walk. I, it could be down, it could be around this loop where I live. It could be down to the beach, which is 1.4 miles. Change my scenery, breathe in some negative ions, go back, and I've reset. So I'm with you. A lot of times, a lot of people, oh my God, I'm like, just breathe. Also, breathe. what's wrong with just going with it? What if you don't write for a week? What's gonna happen? Big deal. Exactly, I like that. Uh, yes, when reading a book, uh, someone else's book, you pick it up, what's your number one pet peeve? What's the one thing that you run across? You're like, oh, jeez. Cliche. Mm. Whether it's a cliche or trite, um, whether it, usually if it's a, maybe cliche is too broad, something that's too obvious, a attempt to tug at, at my reader heartstrings, you know, just like the, the low hanging fruit of, of, of obvious tugging i guess i need to go back and look at my in the closet romance <laughs> novels and see if you would just light a fire to them <laughs> all right final question chris do you have a particular writer that you really look up to as in if you could have them over to dinner with you and your husband who would it be dead or alive well I, i'd hope they'd be alive of course when they're sitting at your dinner table but yeah. Who who would that be? And it could be two in case they're bringing a guest. Mm -hmm. I should have anticipated this question. No, I don't remember you asking, but I haven't listened to all your podcasts. So you may have asked this of someone before. Center. Writers, I really look up to. I do look up to a lot of them because the ones I like are the people I have learned from. But do I want to engage with them is another question because you might learn things that... You don't want to know about who they are. Oh. <laughs> Your analytical mind is hilarious. I would probably be interested in, in getting to know more about Dorothy Parker. I don't think she would like me. I think she's way too uh, metropolitan cool for me. And I think that I would be a nerd at the table, but I do think she'd be interesting. Um, and I really, really like the story of an hour by Kate Chopin and I like Chopin's bravery with writing. So she'd be really interesting too. Good answers. I would love to hear that same answer or same question and answer after a couple of glasses of wine. Cause I think that would be, um, I think we'd get a little extra insight on that. That's just me, just a hunch, just a, just a, I think I told you that I'm thinking about having a Thirsty Thursday thriller zone because I can't do enough alliteration um, where Thirsty Thursdays would all be around seven o'clock my time ish. And uh, we just have cocktails or wine and have the show and see how that went. I like how you're telling me about this really cool thing that I don't get to be around for. But hey, I mean, I guess I'll, I'll just be happy for you and well, Chris, <laughs> happy for all the others who get to engage in it. It's great. There's also uh, repeat performances. I don't know if you ever knew that, but I do have repeat performances. Well, I haven't yet, but I'm going to. Okay. All right. Well, fingers crossed. Thank you. All right. If you want to get to know more about Chris, it's Kristen, K-R-I-S-T-E-N. It'll be on the screen, jtetsi, T-S-E-T-S-I.com, or follow her at ktetsi. 
This has been really fun. I, I spent quite a bit of time looking forward to this. Me too. I really enjoyed myself. And on a flip side, since you are Q&A gal, is there anything you would like to ask as a parting question to your host? Well, yes, I would like to ask if in addition to the thriller genre that you so love, if there's another genre you would ever consider writing. All right. Well, it is funny that you ask, and I'm going to, there are going to be a couple of people in the audience that are going to go, oh, brother, probably. But I have been toying with, I don't know if this is influenced from my two sisters and mother uh, or not, but I was at uh, Thriller Zone, uh, Thriller Fest at 2019, and I ran across some romance novelists, and they met me. And they said, would you ever consider it? And I'm like, God, I don't know anything about it. Yeah, but you know what? I bet it'd be a lot of fun. Long story short, we started talking about it. I'm like, I wonder if I could do that. So on a whim, last Christmas, two Christmases ago, no, it was a three Christmases ago, I wrote a little sweet Christmas story as an homage to my mother who had just passed. And in it was a love story. And so many of my, I, I didn't even publish it. I just did a short run print and I handed it out to my friends and family. And I had so many people write back, oh, David, you should write some more romance novels. And I, so there, it's a really long way of saying, I would, I would perhaps consider that. I would have to write it under a pseudonym, of course, because it really doesn't mix with the thriller genre. Yeah, that's the thing about, about that pen names, you know, if you, that's when they're really useful is when you want to switch genres. So people said, yeah, you should write more of these because we really enjoyed this. This was really good. We, we were wrapped up in it. But you would also have to have enjoyed the process, right? Because that's a long, if you're writing a romance that would probably be a novel, uh, which takes a lot of time and a lot of attention as any novel does. So of all the genres to choose, it, it must be something that you really enjoyed doing. I really did enjoy it. It was not, it was a, it was a Christmas story. It was very, and I, I almost hesitate to say this, but it was very Hallmark. You know, I, I had just come out of a really dark story that I'd finished called, uh, I think it was Devour, which was about a, uh, a prison warden who's was a cannibal. And, um, <laughs> A prison is a great place to be if you're a cannibal, I think. <laughs> well, it's the book is called Devour. That tells you something. But um, anyway, I mean, deep down inside, I'm probably a pretty nice guy. But I just have all these really dark characters that I create. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Great question. Thank you. Thanks for answering. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you again so much for your time, Chris. This has been fun. It has. Thank you very much for having me. Thanks, Chris, for hanging out, and we're all rooting for your next venture into the thriller world. Now, on next week's Thriller Zone, I'm psyched to welcome thriller writer and, get this, fifth-degree black belt in Tushin Do ninja martial arts. Yep, that's a first. Tori Eldridge is the author of the suspense and crime fiction thrillers The Ninja's Blade, The Ninja Daughter, and The Ninja Betrayed, her latest, which we'll be talking about. So please make plans to catch all the martial arts excitement wherever you get your podcast and on our YouTube channel. So I'll see you next week on The Thriller Zone. The Thriller Zone has been presented by The Story Factory and the visionary genre-bending debut novel Grand Theft AI by James Cox. The Matrix meets Blade Runner. Grand Theft AI is available now for pre-order from your favorite bookseller.